Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 163 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline, and we're back with you again to break down what we saw in week 12 of the college football season and take a look ahead to the key NFL draft matchups of week 13. We lost 18 games to COVID-19 last weekend, almost 30% of the college schedule, including one of the games we were interested to watch in Clemson and Florida State. That one, though, kind of a strange situation. The game got canned due to a Clemson player testing positive late in the week after traveling with the team, and the team's medical personnel were unable to agree on whether to play the game. So Dabo Sweeney is saying that FSU used COVID as an excuse not to play. Mike Norvell said it was absolutely a COVID issue. And now Norvell wants to make it up in December when they both have an open week. Sweeney wants FSU to either travel to Clemson or to pay for Clemson's travel expenses if the game is made up on that free weekend. Tony, I'd ask you if you've ever heard or seen something like this before, but I'm pretty sure that answer is no. You know, the closest thing I've ever heard or seen anything like this actually also included Florida State, where it probably had to be about 10 years ago, Bobby Bowden was still coaching the team. And there was a situation where the plane was on the runway for takeoff and there was almost like a small explosion that was heard in one of the uh, engines of the uh, airplane. They pulled the airplane off the side. It took about three hours to do the, uh, the mechanic to, to fix the plane. I think they were playing Clemson. I don't know who they were playing, but I remember the way the story goes. Some of the players, understandably so, did not want to get back on the airplane. And what happened was is uh, the Florida State was playing an away game. Half the team flew. And the other team took a five-hour bus ride uh, to get to the destination because the guys did not want to get back on the plane. So five hours, it probably it could have been Clemson, but that's the closest I, uh, I've come to see that. And I got to tell you, I thought it was bizarre. I know Dabo Sweeney was taking a lot of grief for making his statements. But when I'm in the gym Saturday morning working out before I get ready to start the uh, game day blog at Pro Football Network, I see on the ticker – uh, and the gym, they got ESPN on that the game has been canceled at the last minute, just a couple, you know, three, four hours before uh, kickoff. I, I, I was surprised. I was shocked. What the heck are they canceling the game this late for? And my initial thought when I saw the story was, uh, you know, I don't know if this was an easy out for Florida State, but my initial opinion was I'm sure Florida State had no problem with that game being canceled. And I think that's kind of where a lot of uh, what Dabo Sweeney said comes into play, because I mean, this game, I I think the last I looked at the spread, it was like a 30 or 35 point spread. I mean, this, this game was like, you know, projected to be a massive blowout, which ironically, we're going to talk about Ohio state, Indiana later. I mean, you would think on a weekend where you have Clemson, Florida state and Ohio state, Indiana, Ohio state, Indiana is the big massive blowout spread and Clemson, Florida state is the top 10 football game. But here we kind of have the roles reversed here. And yeah, I mean, I think, Dabo is probably pretty frustrated. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is due back and he just probably wanted to get him on the field. And, 
you know, just kind of get back to, to normal. And then obviously the, the situation comes up with, you know, another COVID situation for Clemson. And, you know, he's probably just blowing off some steam. I mean, yeah, he's going to take some grief. Obviously it's not the best look and, and everything else, but I mean, the reality is it's, you know, I'm sure, as you said, FSU probably had no issue kind of getting rid of the game and not having to play it. But in the end, I'm pretty sure they probably wanted to play the game because they're going to have to play it eventually. And they're, you know, they're going to pretty much get spanked, whether it's in November, whether it's in December. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's just a weird situation all around. Well, I mean, I don't know if they're going to have to play the game because if Clemson, you know, has got such a, uh, a big lead in their division, the ACC, they may not have to, I think Dabo Sweeney was, all upset because of the timeliness of it. I mean, the last second, almost, almost seemingly last second uh, choice. I mean, you get you get your team ready to play if it's a situation where the game was canceled on the Friday or a Thursday. You, you know, the team's not really all hyped up to play. Uh, and, you know, with Florida State, you know, you saw what happened with them last week to Marion Terry uh, is basically leaves the uh, uh, leaves the program. They had a, other, a couple of other guys, primarily Marvin Wilson, the defensive tackle, who he's out for the rest of the year. It's been a bad season for Florida State. It was a bad week, beginning of the week for Florida State, and then it just culminated with the last-minute cancellation of the Clemson game. Now we'll get right into today's show in just a moment after this word from our sponsor. The NFL season, along with the college football season, is in full swing, Tony. And while you may not be at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Matt Patricia has officially jumped Adam Gase as the now odds-on favorite to be the next NFL coach fired. Guess the odds makers finally started listening to what we've been saying, Tony. Or maybe it's just about how badly the Lions played this past weekend against former Temple star QB PJ Walker and the Panthers. Or maybe it's a little bit of both. And maybe they realize that Chris Johnson isn't going to fire Adam Gase because he somehow wants to make a statement. Regardless, though, it could possibly be that Matt Patricia is the next head coach fired. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and the aforementioned coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, sticking with the topic of COVID-19, which I'm personally just a little bit tired of, but it's not going our way. It is our reality. So we'll go on the record this week to discuss players who opted out of the 2020 season due to the pandemic that we think will have their draft stock adversely affected the most. Now, there are plenty of stars who decided not to play this year, guys who are established first round type of prospects who will still go very high in the draft. These aren't really the guys we're thinking of in this particular segment, Tony, kick us off with your choice. You know, there were a couple of guys that I considered Rashawn Slater. I thought made a big mistake by opting out. Uh, obviously Jamie Newman. That's a strange story. I thought he, he made a mistake. He should have played Gregory Rousseau. I think he should have played, but really when it boiled down to it, I think celeb Farley hurt himself the most by voluntarily opting out. I mean, Farley's a guy who I've had graded as draftable since his freshman year, and I thought he had the potential to be the next big-time uh, cornerback prospect out of Virginia Tech. He was a guy that we spoke about on this podcast a year ago. Remember when he went up against those receivers from Rhode Island? 
But he's also a guy that showed a lot of inconsistency in his game. And when I see Celeb Farley mocked uh, right now as a top 15 pick, top 20 pick, I, I just don't know it. No, no, that that's going to be the case. He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. He's flashed the cover skills, but he's never shown a high degree of consistency in his game. He's never shown to me anyway, on film the past, uh, since he was a redshirt freshman, the ability to make, be a playmaker, be a top end cornerback, you know, uh, down in and down out. He's not a Jeffrey Akuda type. He's not any of those types of cornerbacks that have gone top 15. I think had he gone back and really had a knockout uh, campaign in uh, 2020, I think he could have established himself as a top 20 selection, but I just don't see Celeb Farley really gained anything by opting out. In fact, I think he hurt himself and is somebody that really should have gone back to school. And I think we're going to see that on draft day. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it with with Farley. I mean, he's got the physical skills. I mean, he's not afraid to be physical with receivers. I mean, you could call it pass interference at times. You know, as long as it doesn't get called, though, that's all that matters. Um, But, you know, there are times where he may not get his head back around, and that will cause some extra contact at the catch point, which will lead to flags. He doesn't always close super quickly when he's in off coverage. Um, you know, some, some of the consistency issues do appear a lot when he's in zone. So it's, it is interesting to say, Hey, you know what? The cornerback position is one where guys are going to improve just by being on the field. You can have all the physical abilities out there, but you need to be out there facing receivers. You need to be out there experiencing certain breaks, experiencing certain situations and understanding what you need to do. And, you know, it's a difficult position to pick up at the NFL level. I mean, there's a reason that when even the best rookie corners go out there, guys who end up having very good careers. Um, you know, a lot of them are heavily targeted as rookies because they're just not ready yet. It's a position that it takes a lot um, to develop and it takes a lot of time for you to be good and to take a college season off when, you know, you've already shown, you know, plenty of flashes. I mean, again, the talent is all there, but up and down play, he's going to go to the NFL. He's not going to have played football in a year. So, you know, you take guys who have played football up until the draft go in and struggle as rookies and they're the most talented of corners, you know, it doesn't bode well for what Farley will be able to do his rookie season. And, you know, NFL teams, you know, they do want production out of rookies, especially guys taken in the first round because they only have so many cheap years on those rookie contracts. I I mean, he's got the size, but listen, when you match it up, JC Horn of South Carolina had a terrific year or terrific first half of the year before he packed it in and decided that he was going to opt out the rest of the campaign because South Carolina was going nowhere. They had just fired their head coach, Darian Kendrick of Clemson. He's a guy that's also, it's been solid. He's been up and down, but he's on the field playing. You got a couple of guys out of, out of Georgia. I, I just don't see how sitting out a year, you know, is going to benefit Celeb Farley. Fact is, this is he wasn't graded by scouts who grade the underclassmen before the season. Now that really doesn't mean a lot other than scouts who grade the underclassmen uh, off the 2019 film didn't see Celeb Farley as a, at that time as a potential top 45 selection because that's primarily who they grade. So granted that doesn't mean a whole lot come draft day, but it is if you're not if they're if they're not drafting celeb uh, grading celeb Farley as a top 45 pick off the 2019 film, and he doesn't play in 2020, you know 
why, what makes anyone think he's going to be a top 20 choice in the uh, 2021 draft? Now, the guy I think made a big mistake here, you alluded to him before, and, and I agree with you on uh, Georgia quarterback Jamie Newman. Uh, he's a guy we discussed a lot last season. We discussed him some over the summer as well. We were excited to kind of see him take the reins at Georgia with some improved talent around him compared to what he had at Wake Forest. Obviously, he had saved Surratt there. It's not like the cupboard was barren, but you know, Georgia is a completely different animal. I mean, he already posted some nice numbers at Wake, 26 touchdowns, almost eight yards per pass attempt. Did have 11 interceptions, though. Did struggle at times with pressure, especially in the Virginia Tech game last year that we covered. He's not a guy who's going to fit balls into tight windows or dominate with his legs. Even though he is good throwing on the move, he can't escape the pocket. Throws a very pretty football. He's got a good arm, a very calm release. So there aren't a ton of moving parts there, which allows him to be consistent with his mechanics, the lead receivers into yards after catch and the short and intermediate fields. But kind of like you said about Farley, he's just a bit up and down at times. And really, I think the main reason the opt-out hurt his draft stock is because despite how high we are on Jamie Newman, scouts weren't. I mean, they gave him third-day grades entering the season, probably do a lot to what I just said about the consistency issues. And he really had an opportunity this year with a stronger supporting cast against better competition to take a real step forward and maybe turn himself into a second-day pick. Didn't take advantage of it. And it's really hard to imagine that he gets drafted in the top 100 or anywhere higher than where scouts had him pegged entering the season, especially, you know, we've seen so many quarterbacks break out this season, Zach Wilson, Kyle Trask. I mean, these guys are really moving up draft boards. You know, that could have been Jamie Newman. Mac Jones as well. Uh, And the fact is, is, you know, moving to the SEC would have been a step up in competition uh, for Newman, especially with the defensive uh, secondaries he would have played against. And when you watch the 2019 film, he wasn't always a real accurate quarterback. And what I mean by that is his pass placement left a lot to be desired. He had his receivers working hard to come away with the reception. That needed a lot of work. You know, the fact is this, is I have him graded as a fourth round pick. When I spoke with scouts, the earliest they had him drafted, uh, the earliest they had him graded, I should say, is was, was as a late fourth round pick. A lot of scouts had him graded as a sixth round choice. So when you have those questions about your game and your quarterback and you sit, you sit the season out. I mean, this was a major head scratcher. I agree with you. And we have just two reviews this week, obviously with the Clemson Florida state situation, wiping out one of the games we wanted to focus on. And we're going to start with the other game. I mentioned Ohio state, Indiana, just a massive game in this one for Hoosiers wide receiver, try fry Fogel in a seven point loss to the Buckeyes 42, 35 in the end, seven catches, 218 yards, three touchdowns, Fry Fogel already has more receiving yards and touchdowns than he did all of last season, really enjoying a massive breakout year with Michael Penix Jr. taking over at quarterback. Saw a lot of Sean Wade in this one. Wade traveled with him into the slot in man situations. Three long touchdowns in the game for Fry Fogel. Just one came against Wade. One was on a busted zone coverage. Another, he kind of caught Marcus Hooker creeping upfield and adjusted his route midstream to get behind Hooker for a deep touchdown. Really great awareness on that play. The one he did beat Wade on, though, late in the game, fought through a pass interference penalty, which I thought it probably could have gone either way. It was, I thought, good physical play from both guys. But Fry is the one that won that physical battle, made the catch, finished it by taking it to the house, showed enough speed on some of those plays to finish off touchdowns and was his typical physical self at the catch point. He did have a couple bad drops, but considering everything else, I'm willing to overlook that based on the game that he had. Watt Fillior had a pretty nice game as well. Six catches, 56 yards, and one touchdown. 
mostly underneath stuff, but he showed off great quickness and agility, creates separation really nicely with some good bursts out of his breaks. And even though Wade got beat on that TD by Fry Fogel, I thought he played pretty well overall. Uh, obviously, he didn't get his head around in time on that touchdown, but showed a willingness to be physical, the recovery speed to catch up when he was beaten off the line, good hands for the interception, good closing speed on his pick six that he took to the house. So while Fry Fogel went off in this game and, and Wade was certainly on him often, most of Fry Fogel's yards didn't even come against Wade. Yeah, I thought Wade played well, but when they went against each other, Fry Fogel got the better of him. I mean, Fry Fogel, you already mentioned his stats this year uh, are better than all of what he he produced in 2019. The fact is his draft stock is on an upward trend. Uh, for him, it's going to depend on how fast he runs. And, and again, as we spoke about last week, I mean, coming into the season, scouts graded Phil Yor as a potential fifth-round pick, and Fry Fogel was a fringe priority free agent. And that has absolutely uh, flip-flopped. Uh, Wade had his moments, but Wade showed uh, also shows some inconsistency and needs some polish on his game. He's one of those guys who originally said he was going to opt out, but when the season came back, he, he decided to come back to uh, Ohio State and he made the right move. Uh, you, you know, I, I'd like to see him pick up the consistency more, do a better job making plays with his head when his back is to the ball. Uh, overall, it was an enjoyable game. And the fact is this, uh, he, you know, Indiana had some self-inflicted wounds. They had some bad plays on offense. You mentioned the turnover. There were a couple times where there were drop passes where they, they couldn't, they did not get the uh, first down when they went for it on, on fourth down where they could have, or this game could have been. And we also saw that Justin Fields is in fact human. Or really, this game could have gone the Hoosiers' way because uh, they had they had made a lot of mistakes at critical points in the game, which ended up in you know a seven-point loss uh, for the team. Now, moving over to the Mountain West, where we had a rare national TV showdown between Nevada and San Diego State, 26-21 win for the Wolfpack. And this was probably Carson Strong's worst game of the season, at least statistically, but it doesn't mean he played poorly by any stretch. 31 of 46, 288 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. That interception came on a late drop by Romeo Dubs. What impressed me about Strong in this one, anticipation. He was often releasing passes before his receivers broke off their routes. Ball gets there quickly and accurately. He's got a big arm, gets a ton of air under his deep balls, but they usually drop right into the bucket for big plays. Good pocket presence too. Not the most mobile guy, but nifty footwork within the pocket to extend plays and keep his eyes downfield. Dubs had a couple of long catches along the sideline against Aaron Hall, who really just does not have the speed to stay with a guy like Dubs. Much better backed off the line in zone coverage. But other than those big plays, I feel like Dubs mostly struggled to separate a couple drops as well, especially that one that led to an interception late. But in the end, five catches, 133 yards and one touchdown. Without him, strong average six yards per completion to everybody else on the roster. Tariq Thompson, the safety from San Diego State, just five tackles, but doesn't miss many, aggressive in run support, even showed some still covering the slot as well. So really a good, versatile safety in a guy like Thompson. What did you see from this matchup, Tony? I thought Tariq Thompson played well early, but then kind of faded. I mean, when it comes to Carson Strong, he has such incredible physical skills. You, you know, his ball speed and the velocity on his throws enable the pass to get to the receivers as they're coming out of the breaks, especially on those longer, uh, longer throws on the outs to the sidelines. I, I mean, 
he's able to get the ball through the tight windows. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I think part of the problem, if there is a problem, is if you watch the game, I noticed it's the first game of the season. Nevada seems to get too cute for themselves on offense. And they make, do make a lot of unnecessary plays. They, they often have the running back line up behind center. And then the running back will take off with the ball or the running back will actually run a toss sweep to another running back. There was one play where the running back threw the ball. I don't understand why they're doing all this, you know, all this fancy, uh, fancy schmancy stuff. When you got a quarterback like Carson Strong, let him be the focal point of the offense. And then, you know, if, if it's a tight game, then, you know, put the running back behind uh, center and, and do a direct snap. That's what happened the first game of the year against Wyoming, where uh, Carson Strong and Nevada really should have blown Wyoming out of the water. They had a huge lead. Uh, I think it was like 28 nothing. The lead actually should have been closer to 42 nothing, But down in the end zone, they were doing direct snaps to the running back down after down. They didn't get the ball in the end zone. Carson Strong, I, I think what he's got to do is he's got to improve his downfield accuracy. I think I, I like the way he goes through progressions. I like the way he looks off the safeties. I, I think at times he tries to force passes down the field when he shouldn't. He should just lay off and go to some underneath uh, targets, uh, throw, throw the ball through the underneath coverage. Uh, but, but his physical skills are such that some of his passes are just impossible to defend because they got such great speed. And no matter what kind of break the defensive back is getting to the receiver, the ball's already there. I, again, if, if I was speaking to Nevada, I'd say just build the, the offense around Carson Strong and forget all this other crap that you're pulling because it's, it's complete. It's so unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned just defenders being unable to break on the passes. I mean, as I said, he's throwing the ball before the breaks, the ball gets there just so quickly that there there's nothing they can do. You can be the most talented cornerback in the world. And if that ball is where it needs to be by the time it's thrown or based on the time it's thrown, I mean, there's just no way to defend it. Um, you know, I kind of agree with you on all the wildcat stuff. I mean, I understand it here and there, but they did use it a lot. Um, you know, Carson strong came up hobbling at one point during the game after like a really awkward slide dive, whatever you want to call it. Um, but he came back in after, and then that wasn't really the reason they were using a lot of that stuff. I mean, this kind of reminds me of, you know, five, seven years ago when, when all the NFL teams were, were using the wildcat and stuff like that, none of the teams with really like elite quarterbacks um, did it. I mean, you know, the jets brought Tebow in and would do it, but you know what they had Mark Sanchez, um, you know, the only real current comparison you can think of, at least in the pros, obviously it's all over the place in college is, kind of what the saints do with Taysom Hill. Occasionally they'll pull Drew Brees off the field and they'll throw Taysom Hill in there, which, you know, is, is weird in its own right. But I mean, then again, Taysom Hill came in this past weekend and, and played pretty well, but yeah, if you're trying to develop a, a young quarterback like Carson strong and, and you have a guy with those kind of skills, especially in a conference like the mountain West, I mean, this isn't the sec where maybe you need to add certain levels of trickery to, you know, kind of get a leg up on your opponent's defense. I mean, you already have that leg up with a guy like strong. Well, it, it's not even, uh, they're not trying to develop Carson strong. They're trying to win football games. And, and again, I, I think sometimes, you know, all the fancy schmancy stuff keeps the other team in the game. It, it kept Wyoming in the game uh, during the first contest of the season for a while. It seemed to keep San Diego state in the game rather than basically just going full board with your strength. And, and you talked about how, 
Strong's passes have such superior speed that the defensive back cannot stop the pass. We're not, I'm not talking about easy passes here. I'm talking about 30, 40 yard outs where, you know, he's on one hash and he's throwing the out to the other side of the field. So these are not, you know, passes over the middle, uh, you know, over the middle of the field, which are, which are one of the easiest passes. These are difficult NFL type passes that strong is able to make accurately timely and in a lot of ways, passes that are indefensible because of the superior arm strength and the arm talent that he is. Now, on to our week 13 previews, we get a Friday game here on Thanksgiving week. Nebraska heads to Iowa and Huskers left tackle Brendan James will get a challenge going up against Chauncey Golston of the Hawkeyes. Golston has already matched his 2019 total with three sacks in five games so far this year four games with four plus tackles. He can play both the run and get after the quarterback has the height and the length to match James, but Golston is a very explosive player probably has the athleticism over James who based on his athletic profile, probably isn't a guy who's going to stick at left tackle in the NFL, probably have to move to the right side. Tony, do you think James can slow down Golston and kind of keep him from wreaking havoc in this game? He's got to get his hands on him immediately because, in my opinion, Golston's one of the most underrated defensive linemen uh, in the nation. He's a guy who I got a fourth-round grade on where scouts have more of a late-round uh, late grade, late-day three grade on him. He's a guy who's got plays with high intensity. He's not the biggest guy in the world. He's not the strongest guy in the world, but he's explosive. He's incredibly quick. He can penetrate the gaps. He can change direction, pursue the action down, uh, down the line. He's got terrific closing speed. I like Jameis, but – He's out of position at left tackle. I, I mean, I've noticed that a couple of times. Tends to bend at the waist, tends to overextend, gets a little hyperactive. He's a solid player, but I think he's more of a right tackle, maybe even a guard. Not the greatest athlete in the world, but he's intelligent. He's tough. He's got a great lineman's build. He's very strong at the point of attack. Uh, I think it's going to be a good matchup in the sense that James has got to get his hands on Golston first. Otherwise, I think Golston's going to win the day. Now, staying in the Big Ten for more battles in the trenches, Penn State fell to 0-5 last weekend. Real just just awful start to the season for Penn State. But left tackle Rasheed Walker is the guy we've discussed before, has the length and athleticism to play left tackle in the NFL. And he's set up to go against Quiddy Pay this weekend if Pay can get onto the field. He's missed the past two games with an injury, but four tackles for loss, two sacks in the first three games of the year for him explosive and fast off the edge. Walker would have a definite size advantage in this matchup, but both are good athletes, which adds intrigue again, if Pay can get himself back onto the field. And I hope he does because this is good. This will be a good matchup. This is a measuring point for both players. Walker started off the year hot. We talked about him after the Indiana game. He looked terrific. You know, he's got a size advantage, but he's also very athletic. He's very agile. Shows the ability to adjust. He shows the ability to slide out to pick up the edge rushers. Can get out to the second level and take on uh, and hit a moving target. Hit the linebackers. Pay, terrific story. Real good edge rusher. A guy who's got a lot of determination. Is he a first-round pick? I think maybe he's a potential late first-round pick. I like him more as an early second-round choice, although he is an edge rusher. And when you can rush the passer, that is a commodity that's sought out on draft weekend. I do like Walker as a, uh, a solid first-round pick. Hopefully, Pay is, uh, is healthy and, and back on it, although you never know because it's been a terrible year at Michigan. Uh, pulled it out in double overtime against Rutgers, who's playing above their heads because they're so well coached. Uh, good matchup if it takes place on Saturday. 
Now, on the other side of the ball, Wolverines right tackle Jalen Mayfield, also currently injured. He's missed the past three games. And regarding these injured players, like Pay and Mayfield, among others, Michigan's got a laundry list of injuries so far. I mean, Jim Harbaugh came out, and all he said when asked if, if some of these guys would play, he just said, okay, it's possible. That was a quote, possible. So we're not going to know much until Saturday as to whether Mayfield and Pay are going to play. But if Mayfield can return, very similar to Walker, a big guy who shows power against the run and the athleticism to slide out to the edge and kind of be used on the move, he'd get to face off against Jason Owe and Shaka Tony off the edges for Penn State. Tony in five games this year, five and a half tackles for loss, four sacks. But when we looked at him against Maryland and Jalen Duncan earlier in the year, it was a complete washout for Tony. He was just not, did not make any impact on the game at all. So it'll be interesting to see if he can change that narrative. If Mayfield plays in this one away, also undersized like Tony, no sacks this year after he had five last year, but he has been disruptive 33 tackles, five and a half for loss working on the, the assumption, Tony, that Mayfield gets back on the field. What do you expect from these matchups? Well, let's hope he gets back on the field. I mean, a, a college right tackle who I think can play left tackle at the next level, very athletic, ironic that he's struggling with these injuries because he initially had decided to opt out of the season and prepare for the draft. Now he's injured. You got to wonder, you know, is the desire there to come back? I think he needs to come back once he's healthy, only a redshirt sophomore to get the game film in. I, I mean, you're basically looking at a relatively athletic right tackle against two agile athletic edge rushers, pure edge rushers. Shaka Tony's got more linebacker size than he does uh, defensive end size. Play, if he plays at the next level, it's probably going to be as a three, four outside linebacker has been spotty with his production. You mentioned the Maryland game. I believe the Indiana game, he had uh, four tackles for loss and a couple of sacks. I may need some correction on that, but it was one of the early games in the season where he just came out of nowhere and, uh, and played like gangbusters did nothing against Maryland, did nothing against Nebraska, had a pretty good game last week in the Penn state loss, you know, Oway, he's got a lot of upside potential. I see him mocked in the first round. I completely disagree with it. Maybe he can be a first-round pick down the road, but I think right now anything inside the top 45 is a major reach. He shows flashes, but he doesn't show any consistent uh, penetration, uh, consistent uh, game-impacting plays. I think Mayfield obviously has got a size and strength advantage against these guys, and he's also very athletic. So it'll be a good matchup if he gets on the field. Now, speaking of guys who have not shown much consistency this year, we're going to head to the Big 12 and an interesting wide receiver cornerback matchup in the Texas Tech-Oklahoma State game. And that guy I'm referring to is Red Raiders wide receiver TJ Vasher has struggled since his return from missing two games. The reasons were undisclosed, but multiple Texas Tech receivers missed time together. So I'm not going to speculate too much beyond that, but in his last two games, four catches for 50 yards against TCU and Baylor only had two catches for 10 yards in the two games before his absence as well. So we can't, you know, completely put that on the missed time, just a disjointed season overall for Vasher, but at the top of his game, he's got great height can winning contested situations, a solid route runner. The major question for him was speed. Now the production is an issue too, and he's going to look to get back on track this week against Cowboys cornerback Rodarius Williams, who has good size himself, but still gives up several inches to Vasher as most corners do solid speed, good ball skills, a guy opponents have really tried to avoid 
this season, just 15 tackles in seven games, but he has broken up seven passes. Tony, obviously we have no idea what's happening with Vasher. If he doesn't get back on track here, or at least by the end of the season, is he going to get any sort of benefit of the doubt come draft time, considering the strangeness that is the 2020 season and his kind of very mysterious absence earlier this year? Well, well, let me correct you on something. Uh, I do have kind of an idea what's going on with Vasher. I was told that it's COVID-19 related. Didn't get into details or, you know, there's some things you can't talk about. But I, I'm told you mentioned that all, you know, the uh, Texas Tech, or their receiver unit has missed time. I don't know about the whole unit, but I, told, I was told Vasher's issues were COVID-19 related. Now, as you said, he's a bigger receiver. He's got good size. He's got solid hands but he's slow. He's not a real fast guy comes out of the big 12. It's, it seems like something we hear year in and year out. The Hakeem Butler's, the Alan Lazard's, uh, the, the little Jordan Humphreys, outstanding college receivers in the big 12 who just physically beat down opponents, but then don't project well to the next level. I liked Vasher coming into the year because I thought he did the little things. Well, he's a good downfield blocker, good pass. Uh, he's a solid route runner for a bigger guy. As you mentioned, catches the ball very well was graded as high as a third round pick coming into the season by some scouts. But I think the issues, the fact that he hasn't had good production, even when he's on the field is really going to hurt him, which is why I moved them down to uh, a fifth round pick right now. Rodarius Williams. I think his best football was probably played two years ago when he really stood out. I haven't seen much progress in his game. He's got decent size. Got beaten like a drum several times last week against Oklahoma, which is absolutely going to hurt him and hurt his draft stock. But I think like Vasher, you're looking at a mid-day three selection right now. Now, one more passing game battle to look at. This one over in the SEC, Auburn's Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz go up against Alabama's secondary and cornerbacks Patrick Sertan II and Josh Job Williams, the last time we watched him against an elite Georgia secondary, struggled a bit only had three catches. He's not the twitchiest or the most athletic receiver, but he's not completely devoid of athletic ability either. Does have good size, can handle physical coverage and win battles in traffic, comes back to the ball well as well. Whereas Schwartz is kind of the burner on the Auburn offense. Great speed, despite only 12.3 yards per catch this season. He's used very often underneath, just a guy who Auburn really tries to get the ball into his hands. On the other side, Sertan, probably likely to see a lot of Williams in this game, Sertan's a very physical corner, very effective in bump and run, also athletic enough to stay with most opposing receivers as well and recover when he's beat off the line. I'd say he probably has the overall advantage on Williams. So the challenge here will be whether Williams can kind of get over on Sertan and, and have a good game. He has been a bit up and down this season. Josh Job, more of a late round guy. If he's matched up against Schwartz, he's going to need some help over the top to handle Schwartz's speed. Tony, how would you handicap this matchup? Well, I mean, I'm going to stick with Sertain because uh, he was phenomenal last week against Kentucky. I mean, just some of the plays he made, he stands out with the size, with the explosion, with the speed, with the closing burst. And I mean, he looked terrific. Now, it's two different beasts at Auburn. You got Seth Williams, who made one of the most incredible catches you'll ever see last week uh, in the game on uh, down by the goal line, basically just went up with a one-handed stab. In fact, I thought it was better than that Odell Beckham Jr. catch uh, when Beckham was with the Giants. Uh, It was a long reception. We've talked about Seth Williams a couple times on this podcast. I expect him to enter the draft, although I have not heard any direct word. Uh, He's a bigger receiver. He's fluid. He's smooth. 
for him against Sertain, it's a good, it's good matchup in size versus size, strength versus strength. Anthony Schwartz is a burner. I mean, he's a guy that's got home run hitting speed. There's some people who feel he's the fastest player uh, on the college football field. I'm told there's a very good chance he could enter the draft. So when he goes up against Sertain, it's going to be a situation where can Sertain stay with him downfield and make plays on the football? When I say make plays on a football, I'm not just talking about face guard and getting your hands up. I'm talking about getting his head back around and positioning himself against Schwartz who flies down the field to defend the pass. So it's going to be a, different types of matchups for Sertain. The size and strength against Seth Williams versus the speed of Anthony Schwartz. And that's it for the 163rd episode of the Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week with more NFL Draft coverage for all of you out there. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Trabodi. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, however you may be celebrating. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.